Good morning. Have you uh, seen this uh, sets of photos floating around called eight pictures you can't miss in your life? Let me show it to you. They are not uh, from the scripture. They are just conventional wisdom. Uh, some are true, some depending on context. Let me just show you very quickly. The first one is be humble. You won't stay fresh forever. And the second one is uh, karma. You get the same as you give. And number three, number three, read yourself and not other people. Sometimes when you meet people that you're not met for 30 years, you start commenting how old they have gotten. They don't realize that you also have age. They think the same thing as you. He's so old now. And the fourth one is don't panic. Uh, organize. And the uh, fifth picture is your plan versus reality. Because there are many hidden uh, challenges that sometimes you cannot prepare for it eh, in life. No matter how much pre preparation you get into, it, 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 there's too many hidden challenges. And the sixth one is it's easy to look sharp when you haven't done any work. <laughs> many church people always tell me what I should do. And the seventh one is uh, empty minds always make the most noise. And the last one is this. The true power of stepping away. The true power of stepping away uh, in certain contexts, isn't it? But the person that we are going to talk about this morning, John the Baptist, is one person that who will not step away. He will not stop away. Uh, and uh, we've been doing this series called Miraculous Births, and we have covered uh, Samson, Samuel, and today we are looking at John the Baptist, and tomorrow we'll be looking at the central figure of the reason for our this season, Jesus. Uh, miraculous birth. I don't know why is it so difficult to believe in miracles. Uh, someone says, especially if you are atheists or agnostics, um, you cannot believe in miracles. You only believe what your eyes can see, what your eyes can prove. Uh, someone said a Christian believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. Uh, we are all on the same level playing field in a sense. But each story that we present to you, but I just want you to know that the truth of the Christmas story lies to ties together a thousand other stories in the Bible. It's not just isolated one case, but the entire scripture is tied together. There are many, many stories. It says that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. It is all together. You can see Christ in the Old Testament. 
And you can see all these things that Old Testament talks about in the New Testament. So the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. But one thing, entirety of the whole Scripture, 66 books, that Jesus is right throughout the entire book, the entire Scripture. You can see, we find Christ in all the Scriptures, Alistair Beck says. Jesus is predicted in the Old Testament. Jesus is revealed in the Gospels. Jesus is preached in Acts. Jesus is explained in the epistles. Jesus is expected in Revelation. It is all his story. That's why they say history is his story. But as we read the Bible, as we've been covering this miraculous birth, time and time again, God brings hope to an impossible situation through a miraculous birth. Whereas Isaac, Samuel, John the Baptist, or other four of them, that are, there are seven miraculous births in the scripture, as Pastor Caroline pointed out to us. And you may be asking, why? Why this miraculous birth? Let me tell you why. Because this miraculous birth reveals clearly to us that the future hope for humanity rests not on human power or human virtue but on God's power. God is in the picture. Each time in history, He sends someone to rescue us. That's why it has to be a miracle birth in a sense. So this miraculous verse reveals clearly that future hope for humanity is all God's work and not the result of human potency. It's not because of us. It's because of God. God has to intervene to help us along the way. And therefore, the reality of Jesus' virgin birth shapes how we think of our new birth and of the birth of the church. It is all by the supreme and gracious power of God. And each time is God's timing. God provides someone like Samson Samuel transit the time of the judges to the king era. And John the Baptist now being the last prophet. After 400 years of silence, God has stopped speaking because after Malachi, 400 years was silent. It's called an inter-testament period. And then John the Baptist burst into the scene. Timing is always there. God's timing is perfect. For example, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, talk about the timing of Jesus' birth. Paul said, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God, when the set time had fully come. You know why Jesus was born at that time? Because it was the right time spiritually. It was the right time culturally. It was the right time politically. It was the right time spiritually because there was a hunger that had been developing that was, some historians say, at fever peace just before Jesus was born. The Jews had always anticipated long for, prayed for a deliverer, a messiah, 
And now that Rome had occupied their territory, that grew to such a longing, a depth of longing like never before. So it was ripe, it was the right time spiritually because they were expecting the arrival of this Messiah. It was the right time culturally because for the first time since the Tower of Babel, the world was now unified with a single language and that is the Greek language. You could go from India to Britain 2,000 years ago and share the same ideas in the same common, precise language. And it was also right time politically because 2,000 years ago, Rome had taken over the world. There was the world power at that time. And because Rome had taken over the world, as oppressive as that might feel to the Jews in Judea, it still brought a unification of the world. Because Caesar Augustus imposed what he called the Pax Romana. Pax Romana, known as the Roman Peace, which means that for nearly 200 years, there was economic growth and cultural growth with military stability. Do you know that during that time, there was, not, there was almost no military conflicts whatsoever because of the Pax Romana. Not only that, but Rome built a road system around the world. 250,000 miles of roads and 50,000 of which were paved and many can still be seen today. The cobblestone tower road in Europe, you can see it all over. So people now could travel freely with their ideas and have military guards ensuring their safety along the way. So it was the right time politically, it was the right time culturally, it was the right time spiritually. God always his timing is always right, always perfect. And so John the Baptist, after 400 years of silence, it was the right time. It was the right time and he burst into the scene. So now what I want to do for the remaining time I have is to let you see three things about John the Baptist, his miraculous birth. He is the only prophet, unless someone can point out to me, uh, He's the only prophet that has been prophesied. Jesus has been prophesied, but that no prophet has been prophesied that this prophet will come in the Old Testament before. And so let me give you three, three points. First and foremost, what I want to show to you is that John the Baptist, why it was a miraculous birth? Because his birth was foretold. No other prophets in the Bible has foretold by a prophet that this prophet is going to come other than they were prophesizing about Jesus, they will come. But there were prophets that talks about John's birth. Primarily two prophets, Isaiah and uh, Malachi. So I want to refer to you uh, Isaiah chapter 40, which is 700 BC, uh, way before John the Baptist was born. Uh, here Isaiah prophesies, say, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But then the natural question when you read about this prophecy is, how do we know 
that John the Baptist is this prophet that Isaiah prophesies about? How do we know? For that, I will then go to Matthew chapter 3 because Matthew, the gospel writer, quoted this passage when he saw John the Baptist came into the scene. This is what John, uh, this is what Matthew says about John the Baptist when he burst into the scene. He said, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who had, was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You see that Matthew quoted Isaiah when he saw John the Baptist and said, this is what Isaiah said, that this is a prophet, preparing the way of the Lord. Not only that, but uh, John Gospel, not John the Baptist, John Gospel, John chapter 1, um, G John the Baptist himself said that the prophecy of Isaiah is about him. Because when uh, they were, when uh, the Jewish leader, they sent some people to ask John the Baptist, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And, and John the Baptist said, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? John the Baptist said, no, no, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then who are you? Please give us his an answer so that we can report to the authority. And this is what John the Baptist said, who I am. He said, I am the voice that cries in the wilderness. Make a straight way for the Lord. I am what Isaiah prophesies about. I'm not just an ordinary prophet. I am the particular prophet that the Old Testament prophesies of me coming to prepare the way for the real arrival of Jesus Christ. So the first text is Isaiah. Then there are two more texts in Malachi. Just bear with me so that you can see where we are going. The birth of uh, is a miraculous because his birth was foretold. Malachi chapter 3 uh, 430 BC, Malachi was the final prophet, and then that is where the end the Old Testament, and it was 400 years later, then the New Testament starts. So 400 years is known as the intertestament period where God was silent for 400 years, during the time of Greek empire and all that. And Malachi said, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the natural question is, how do we know John the Baptist fit into this prophecy? That it is John the Baptist that Malachi prophesies about this messenger. Then we have to go to Matthew 11. Uh, this is what uh, Jesus said, okay? This is what Jesus said. Um, Jesus spoke to the crowd and asked them, when you go to the Desert. What, what are you looking for? When you go into wilderness, what are you looking for? Uh, a reed sway by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palace. Then, then what do you go out into the desert to see? A prophet? Jesus said, yes. I tell you, he's more than a prophet. And then he went on to say, this is what Jesus said, okay? 
Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, he's not just an ordinary prophet. He's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then he made this astounding statement. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's what they call goat, huh? G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Um, he is the greatest prophet. Another text in Malachi chapter 4 uh, again says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Again, uh, in Luke chapter 1, it confirmed that this prophecy again in Malachi refer to John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, uh, Pastor Ruth has already read to us, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah about John the Baptist's baptism, I mean, a birth, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So as you can, John the Baptist is miraculous birth because his birth has been prophesied, has been foretold by Malachi and Isaiah way back before he was even born. Not just only all the prophecies about Jesus, but he's the only prophet that was stated in the scripture that his birth was foretold for a specific purpose. And so secondly, his mission as a forerunner. Not just only his birth was foretold, but he has a mission. His mission is very specific. His mission is a forerunner to prepare the ground, to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. John the Baptist, born six months before Jesus. Elizabeth and Mary, uh, around the same time, as we saw the clip last week, um, um, they visited each other, they had a conversation, and then the Holy Spirit kind of moved in the, in the tummy. So the role of the forerunner is to point people to the more important individual who will follow. Such was the mission that was ordained for John the Baptist. So his assignment is very specific, and that is to be a forerunner, to prepare the ground before the arrival of the one that is greater. So in what sense did he prepare the way of the Lord as Isaiah foretold? John's words was one of preparation, helping to get ready the soil, that is the hearts of the Jewish people. Prepare, get them ready, who were waiting and looking for the Messiah. By declaring God's words to the Jewish people, John fulfilled what his own father also foretold. Look at what his Father, when, when eventually John the Baptist was born after the disbelief by uh, Zacharias and therefore he was muted until John was born and returned the name. His name should be called John, which means God is gracious. And when that happened, he's suddenly able to speak and then he made a song known as the Zacharias song. Sing and praise the Lord and see what he sing about this, his own son, about John the Baptist. 
he says this. After he said a few things, this is what he said about John the Baptist. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To prepare the way for him. So John had but one major purpose for his life. How good is it, isn't it? If our life is just one thing that we should do, one mission, just do that thing, you'll be all right. Well, scripture tells us, isn't it? Put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If that is your direction, the rest of the thing will fit into it nicely. As C.S. Lewis said, put the first things first, and then the rest you'll get it. You put the second things first, you get neither. So John had one major purpose for his life. He wanted to call everyone's attention to the one coming after him. Why? Because he was greater than him. John's mission was to point people away from himself to Christ. Some of his disciples actually followed Jesus, John the Baptist first until Jesus came and then he directed them to Jesus. Point people away from himself to Christ and his mission. You know, in a small church in the German village of Eisenheim, uh, there is a painting of John the Baptist by the Renaissance master Grunwald. It's known as the Eisenheim altar. Uh, you can fold it up. What they use it is because uh, it was often shown to people suffering from, I didn't know that there's such an illness. It's called St. Anthony's fire. Yes? Doctors, is there such an illness? Called St. Anthony's fire. A painful disease of the skin. And uh, in those days before, you know, one of the things is, other than medication and all that, one of the things is to bring the altar to them and ask them to look at the picture, to see the suffering of Christ. And Apparently, that is the way, in some way, to help to elevate some painful by focusing on the, the pain, the suffering of Christ. Uh, that elevate, in some sense, of your struggle, of your pain, by looking at the cross, that Jesus died on the cross. It was through the beauty of the art and the image of Christ's suffering, it will help the patient to lift their attention away from their own self to Christ who suffered for us. And so this painting, on there are three panels, put it on altar, but there's one figure there, and that is this. This is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. Let me just magnify it. John the Baptist. So this this. This picture on John the Baptist, uh, about him pointing. He stands at the edge of this side panel with arm outstretched and one elongated bony finger pointing to the cross. The picture defines uh, John's role and sums up his ministry exactly. That his role is to point people to Christ. His role is to pave the way Prepare the ground for Jesus' arrival. I mean, it perfectly illustrates 
the calling of us, any of us as followers of Christ, we must point others to him and to the cross. And the great thing about John the Baptist is that he knows God has given him a particular job to do. He knows just what that job is. And his one ambition is to accomplish it. And John may not do many things, but the one thing he does, he does very well. And that is to bear witness. And that is John's whole life. He doesn't let his pride or personal ambition get in the way. He's not interested in building a career or making a name of himself. He wasn't the bridegroom. He was the bridegroom's best man. He wasn't the star of the show. He was part of the stage crew. He was a supporting role behind the scene, helping to promote the main attraction. John was interested in just one thing, directing people towards Christ. And that's why he understood so well the first lesson a follower of Jesus needs to learn. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And John could call for repentance but Jesus would actually forgive sins. John could baptize with water as a sign of human repentance, but Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to regenerate and to renew, to bestow eternal life on people. John is not the good news of the gospel. He only prepares the way for it. The good news is Jesus himself. So his one task, John the Baptist's miraculous birth, his birth was foretold and his mission is as a forerunner, just preparing the ground for Jesus. And when Jesus entered the scene, he begins to fade away. He begins to direct people to follow Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of men. Go and follow him. My job is done. My role is done. I move on. And the third one is that his message is foretelling. His message is foretelling. There's a difference between foretelling, which is F-O-R-E, and F-O-R-T-H, isn't it? Foretelling is the declaration of future events. Like I will give, some people have to give a prophecy. They are able to interpret and prophesize over certain future events that reveal from the Lord. Uh, pertaining especially to the kingdom of God. But foretelling is to utter forth, declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. Declare the divine will to interpret the purposes of God or to make known in any way the truth of God which is designed to influence people. Like preaching God's word, it is foretelling. Preaching God's word, foretelling. And John's message was very clear. Again, while, his, mis while his, uh, his, his mission is to prepare the ground, his message is also very clear. And that is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, it's time to repent, preparing the ground. And start to baptize people, preparing for Jesus to come. Pre repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He taught on repentance. John believed that repentance is God's provision 
for restoring the relationship between God and man broken by sin. And so he asked people to turn away from sin and turn to God. This is the message that we have. This is the only thing that we can contribute to the problems of this world. And that begins with calling individuals to repent of their sin. Don't change the gospel, my friend. This is the gospel that we have. Because this is the heart of the problem. That is human heart. That's why they say the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That is the real issue. The rest of it is just camouflaging, just only treating the symptoms. Self-esteem, poor self-esteem, this and that. They are not the real problem. The real problem is sin. And we need people to repent of their sin. And if you look at uh, Zechariah, his father, John the Baptist's father, when he prayed over the son, this is what he said, And you, my child, let me repeat this verse again, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then what? To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. A new day is dawning. A new day is dawning. You can find forgiveness in God. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah prophesies over John the Baptist not only his mission but his message and that is to preach the forgiveness of sin. And when uh, Mary, the angel appeared to Mary, this is what exactly angel said to Mary. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Heart of it. This is our Christian gospel. Don't err on any side. Don't err. Doesn't matter what the society tells you. I predict, again it's only me, I predict that in the time of political correctness in our environment, in the future, to call someone a sinner is amounting to hate speech. It is amounting to hate speech. I fear in the Western world it is moving down that pathway. It is amounting to hate speech. And you will be banned from calling someone a sinner. But when you stop doing that, then you have no more gospel. You have no more gospel. 1 Peter 3.8, Paul asks, Peter said, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Because the heart of, as I said, the heart of humanity's problem is the problem of the heart. Even Einstein, Albert Einstein, say, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1921, and uh, whose theory of relativity has revolutionized man's thinking about the, few, the nature of time and space. 
And he made this command on the threat of a nuclear warfare in one of his speech in 1948. This is what he he says. It is not a physical problem, but an ethical one. What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart is explosive power for evil. It's not a nuclear it's not. It's the human heart that I'm worried about. It's explosive power for evil. And so Christian solution, John the Baptist, when he preached this message of repentance, is preparing the ground for Jesus to come because Jesus really can forgive sin. He's going to the heart of the matter, solving the real problem is the heart. Because external change, changing the clothes doesn't change the person's. Outward discipline doesn't alter what is within. New habits don't make a new soul. That's not to say that outward change is not good. That is to say that outward change is not enough. If one would see the kingdom, he must be born again. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, no clever arrangement of bad eggs ever made a good omelette. No clever arrangement of bad eggs ever made a good omelette. You just only need one (laughs) to stuff up your ten eggs. And so the issue is the heart. And John the Baptist has one mission that's prepared the ground for Jesus to come. And he has one message and to ask the people for repentance. Come forth. And then when Jesus came, their heart is ready. Let me conclude this uh, sermon with a story written in the form of a poem. And then I'll pray and I'll invite you to sing our closing song. The uh, story poem is called Just Checking In. He said, a minister passing through his church in the middle of the day decided to pause by the altar to see who came to pray. Just then the back door opened and a man came down the house. The minister frowned as he saw the man hadn't shaved in a while. His shirt was torn and shabby and his coat was worn and frayed. The man knelt down and bowed his head, then rose and walked away. In the days that followed at precisely noon, the preacher saw this chap. Each time he knelt just for a moment, a lunch pail in his lap. Well, the minister's suspicions grew. With robbery a main fear, he decided to stop and ask the man, What are you doing here? The old man said he was a factory worker and lunch was half an hour. Lunchtime was his prayer time for finding strength and power. I stay only a moment because the factory is far away. As I kneel here talking to the Lord, this is kind of what I say. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I have been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. 
don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is Ben, just checking in today. The minister, feeling foolish, told Ben that it was fine. He told the man he was welcome to pray there anytime. It's time to go and thanks, Ben said as he hurried to the door. And then the minister knelt there at the altar, which he had never done before. His cold heart melted, warm with love, as he met with Jesus there, as the tears flowed down his cheeks. He repeated old Ben's prayer. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much of how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is me just checking in today. Past noon one day, the minister noticed that old Ben hadn't come. As more days passed and still no Ben, he began to worry some. At the factory, he asked about him, learning he was ill. The hospital staff was worried, but he's given them a thrill. This week, the band was with them, brought changes in the ward. His smiles and joy contagious, changed people were his reward. The head nurse couldn't understand why Ben could be so glad when no flowers, calls or cards came not a visitor he had. The minister stayed by his bed. He voiced the nurse's concern. No friends had come to show they cared. He had nowhere to turn. Looking surprised, Oban spoke up, and with a winsome smile, the nurse is wrong. She couldn't know he's been here all the while. Every day at noon, he comes here. A dear friend of mine, you see, he sits right down and takes my hand, leans over and says to me, I just came by to tell you, Ben, how happy I have been since we found this friendship. And I took away your sin. I think about you always and I love to hear you pray. And so, Ben, this is Jesus just checking in today. Lord, as our hearts uh, ponder the miracle of God becoming man to save humanity from sin. Lord, move us to magnify you, to praise you, to honor you, and to make your name great. Thank you for checking in on us. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for coming. Now we know how God looks like because Jesus is the face of God. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for checking in. Thank you for John the Baptist preparing the ground for your arrival. As we sing this song, Silent Night, we reflect once again of your coming. Such a gentle way. 
I'll ask the musician to play the first stanza through as we just remain seated and pray and then I'll invite you to stand to sing this carols. 